Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see all your bright and sunshiny faces on this beautiful day. It's freezing cold, but sunny outside. Did you guys see the forecast for this week? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Finally, right? March has been not bad. Not bad. Usually it's in like the lion, out like a lion. It bites you like a lion. You know, the whole thing's a lion. We've been fortunate. So let's thank the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're so grateful, Father. We're so thankful for being here together this morning, Father. We, <clears throat> we ask and pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would be present in this place, Father, to instruct us, to train us, and to teach us, Lord. Before we ask anything of ourselves, Father, before we seek the blessing, before we seek wisdom, before we seek guidance, Father, we want to seek to be in the center of your will, Father. We want to be in the center of what your word has to say about our lives, Father. What is it that you require of us, Father? What is it that you've called us to be and called us to do, Lord? We pray that that would be preeminent in our thoughts and that would be preeminent in our hearts, Father, so that we could then properly and correctly uh, address the things that we need or don't need in our lives, Father, in the places we need to go or not go, Father, and, and how we ought to be treating the people around us. Lord, help us uh, to ob- obey and observe those great commandments, Father, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and to truly love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. Father, help us to be the people that you need us to be, to be lights that shine in such a dark, dark, dark world, Father, that we're living in, and it's only getting darker. And the answer is not more politics, and the answer is not certainly not hating our neighbors, and the answer is not uh, anger towards people that don't agree with us, Father. And the, ang- the answer is not to retaliate and respond to people who are angry and mean to us, Father, but the answer in the life of a Christian, in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to seek your face, Father, and then to seek to love all of the people that you put in our path, Father, both the ones that love us back and the ones that despise us, Lord, that we would have that mindset of Christ, Father, to always turn that other cheek to the despising of men, and Lord, that we would bless instead of curse, and we would pray for those who hate us and misuse us, Father, and spitefully treat us, Lord, that we wouldn't have the anger that the world says we should have, Uh, Lord, but we would have the love that you say we should have, Lord. We can't do it on our own, and we need your Holy Spirit to come among us this morning, Father, and to begin a change. We pray that you should be with all the people who are here in this building, all the people who are watching online, Father, who are watching this after the fact, recorded, and for all of our brothers and sisters who are gathered in Jesus' name around the world, studying your word, Father, and who believe in the truth of the divinity and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father, that you would be present in those places to bring souls into the kingdom and to touch and to heal and to mend, Father, and to make straight the broken way, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 22 this morning. I'm going to be covering verses uh, 1 through 12, God willing. And uh, I love this. Uh, I love this portion. Um, it's some of it may, may seem a little tricky as we go down through it, but I think that if, as we look at it together, we're going to find that that was not God's intention. Uh, God did not give us His word to make it hard to understand. It's men that make it hard to understand. Okay, it's men that make it hard to understand. Uh, Pastor Chuck used to say that so often you find yourself talking to someone or you're around someone uh, who has theology or who has doctrine uh, that as you study the word or as a student of the word, you realize they would never, ever have come to that conclusion just by reading the Bible at face value. 
you know, and when, when I talk to people and, and they t- start telling me, you know, about all the contradictions in the Bible and, and you ask for a couple of examples and, well, you know, they're there, you know, and, and all the ways that the Bible is archaic and unscientific and all these things. And I, and I always say, well, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever, well, I've read bits and pieces. I, I urge you, I encourage you to read the Bible as it is as one message from Genesis to Revelation. It's one integrated message, and you, you, you have to read the whole thing, and you have to read it in context. Anybody can take a verse from here or a verse from over there and make it say something that they want it to say. That's true, and that's one of the things that the critics say. But the Bible taken as a whole is a very simple message. It really is not that difficult. It is man that always takes the things of God or the works of God that God begins and turns them into something else. So we'll, we'll start going through it and we'll, we'll see what we can come up with here. Deuteronomy chapter 22 begins, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it, then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and, you shall, and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's which he has lost, and you have found, you shall do likewise, you must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. We're going to stop there. So this is the laws concerning neighbors, or as it says in some of your Bibles at the top above chapter 22, law of brotherhood. The law of brotherhood. You hear a lot of this these days. You should, people should just mind their own business. People should just mind their own business. And in some ways, that's absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. But in other ways, it is absolutely contrary to God's word. When it comes to your neighbor, when it comes to your brother or sister, when it comes to people, and that means people that God has put into your life. Remember when, when, they, when Jesus Christ was talking about loving your neighbor, and then they said, who is my neighbor? Jesus gives them the parable of the, of the, of the Samaritan, of the good Samaritan. And, and of course, you have to put that in context. The Samaritans were absolutely despised and hated by the Jewish people. The reason for that was because when they were taken into, into the Babylonian captivity, the land was repeopled by Nebuchadnezzar. And those people that were there, remember the Bible says because they weren't honoring God, lions came among them and started eating them. So they said, well, we better learn what we ought to do to honor the God of this land. And so they began to learn the laws of God and to observe the Jewish religious um, traditions, okay, in order that they might live and dwell in the land. So when the Jews come back from their captivity into the land, and here's these Samaritans, They didn't welcome them or receive them with open arms. They hated their guts. They despised them. You're not true Jews. You're not real Jews. You don't belong here. In fact, a real religious Jew, when they were walking towards Jerusalem, they would go miles out of the way rather than walking through the land of Samaria because they believed that if their feet touched the dirt of Samaritan ground, they would be defiled. That's how they felt about Samaritans. They hated them. So when Jesus Christ was heading to Jerusalem, which way do you suppose he went? Right straight through Samaria. Right straight through the land of the Samaritans. 
And so on one of these occasions when they're asking Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You should love your neighbors. Well, who is my neighbor? And he gives them the parable of the Good Samaritan, that there's this Jewish man and he's beaten and left for dead by robbers and a priest passes him by and a Pharisee passes him by and other pastors by go by him. And finally a Samaritan stops and sees here's a Jew beaten badly and he takes him and he binds up his wounds. I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but for some reason. He takes him, and he binds up his wounds, and he brings him to an innkeeper, and he says, I want you to take this man, and I want you to nurse him back to health, and here's some money up front, and anything that is required for his healing, you ask it of me, and I will surely pay it in full. And Jesus said, now you tell me, who was this man's neighbor? Was it the man that for all intents and purposes he ought to have hated, that he had nothing in common with? that they had nothing that they would ever talk about where they wouldn't end up in some sort of an argument? Or was it the one that simply for the sake of God and for the sake of kindness itself showed kindness and mercy to this man? That's who your neighbor is. And of course, according to what Jesus Christ has taught us, being neighborly is not... Uh, a prerequisite of being neighborly is not first having someone be neighborly to me, right? We all have people. Well, we all have, I could, we could probably have, do a round of hands and tell some stories, couldn't we? We all have people, we all have quote-unquote neighbors in our lives that have been a thorn, have been a thorn in our side, have been a constant drip, uh, have been a pebble in the shoe, have been a constant irritation. And you, ever, you ever hear that country song, I pray for you? You know what I'm saying? I pray for you. It's this country song, I pray for you. I pray, I pray that you fall down the stairs. I pray that your, your car flies over a cliff. You know, I pray for you all the time. I, I'm praying for you, brother. I pray. I, oh, I pray for you every day. Oh, Lord, look, get him, you know. But Jesus taught us the opposite way. You've heard it said and old. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, there's something that we have to stop and discuss there. Because in the law, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, okay? That means if I go up to my buddy Joey in the back and bang, knock out his two front teeth for no good reason, right? Because he doesn't see it coming. Then we go stand before the judge and he says, Judge, he out my teeth. <laughs> the judge would then say, okay, line that dude up. And then Joey would knock out two of my front teeth. That's justice. That's fair. It makes perfect sense. But what happened was, what was taken as a sensible thing in the law was then taken and it was completely stretched and, 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 and torn and, and, and stretched over this whole thing where I must have vengeance. If you do me wrong, I've got to get you back. Doesn't that sound familiar? And Jesus said, so you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but here's what I'm telling you. We're not talking about justice under the law. Okay? If someone steals from you, you have recourse under the law. If someone hurts you or injures you or damages your property, you have recourse under the law. And as a Christian, you have every right, okay, to utilize that. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that turn the other cheek, okay? That's what Jesus said. You've heard it said an eye for an eye, tooth, but I tell you that you should turn the other cheek, that you should be kind to those who spitefully use you and that are cruel to you and that speak evil of you. You should be kind to these people. You should show love and mercy to these people. Why? Why? What's the reason for that? Because that's the way God loves you. 
And when we were far from God, and when we were enemies of God, and when there was nothing in my life that was deserving of salvation or of eternal life or any good thing, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins for no other reason than he loves me so desperately. And he sees me and you as such great treasures that there was nothing that he would not give to gain us to himself. And so what Jesus is saying is in the same way, you ought to love the people around you. Now, any rational thinking person at that point in time says, who can love like that? I don't have that capability. Listen, if you're nice to me, I can be really nice back. And even if you're kind of off-putting to me, I can be really nice back. But if you're mean to me, if every time I walk past your office, this is what Rich does, every time I walk past, hey, fatso, you know what I'm saying? That's hurtful. That's hurtful, Rich. Where is he? He's out in the... Bring him in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right? If every time that one person, I hear him laughing out there, <laughs> it'll never stop, never, um, always comes after you, always has something to say to you, always is that, it's that dig, it's that rub, it's that little thing, and you're just constantly like, like, like Ralph Cramden, whoa, bang, zoom, you know, oh, oh, what I wouldn't like to do, you know, and Jesus says, that's you, that's your flesh, listen, don't sit here in condemnation over it, that's who we are as a people, but God has called us to something higher, and that's why we so, so desperately need that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, come fill me. Come fill me. That power that talks about, when it talks about that power that you will be endued with from on high, when the Holy Spirit comes, the word there is deutimus, which, is, which means literally the ability to do. To do what? That which I cannot do of myself. God understands that this is a supernatural transaction that he's asking of us. It's a supernatural transaction. In the epistles, Paul would say, why would you begin in the flesh that which, which was, was began in the spirit? God saved you and he brought you into the kingdom in the spirit. Continue in the spirit. Don't now, Christians, start trying to do the right things according to your flesh because you read a Christian magazine or you read a Christian book or you listened to good Christian radio, Right? And it tells you how you ought to be and how you ought to address situations and stuff like that. You walk according to the Spirit. What does the Word of God say? What does the Spirit tell your heart? That's the way we ought to act, and that certainly is the way we ought to treat people. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, God, of course, says to his people, come now, let us reason together, okay? God has called us to be a thinking people. It's not a blind faith that we have. We don't believe, even though all proof and all evidence and all anything that's ever been shows us clearly that the Bible is ridiculous, and yet we believe anyways. That's not the way it is. Watch a video on the Creation Museum. There is so much science, okay? There is so much science, and it's, I said that word, science, that supports the biblical account of creation, of the flood, and so on and so forth. However, two people can look at the same evidence, and one can say it clearly shows that the flood record, the, re the genealogical record, or the Genesis record, the Genesis count, absolutely it supports that. And another person can look at that same evidence and say, this is absolutely supported by evolution. Okay? Absolutely. So it always comes back to faith. It always comes back to faith. But it is not a blind faith that we have. 
We believe based on what we know, based on what we've seen, based on what the Word of God says. The Bible doesn't say that the world is resting on the back of some great seal or something like that, right? The Bible never taught that the earth was flat or square. The Bible taught thousands of years before scientists were saying the earth was flat that the earth was round. Talks about God sitting upon the sphere of the earth. Okay, so the Bible is not just something that we believe because, you know, well, you got to believe something. No, no. If you study the Word of God and you know the prophecies of the Word of God and you go back and forth and you really find it out for yourself, what you're going to find is there is absolutely every reason to believe that what this book says is true. And God wants us to read this and to use the common sense and the conscience that He's given us, which is activated by His Holy Spirit, and live out our lives accordingly. It's not rocket science. At least it's not supposed to be. But that's what people turn it into. And so the law wasn't enough. And so you took the, the law was taken, and, and then you have the Mishnah. And from the Mishnah, you have the Talmud, and you have, which are the oral interpretations of the law. Because the law itself is too simplistic, see? So the, the, the attorneys, the religious attorneys, had to explain what it really means for your life. And we could do that. We could sit here and we could dissect the scriptures like this and we could take every little nuance of it and say, well, what it really means and what it really means, it's very simple. Show kindness to your neighbor. If your neighbor is in trouble, if your neighbor is in need, whose business is it? It's your business. Not only is it your business, but in Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to reach out a helping hand. But you don't know that person. They don't deserve it. I'm going to do all these nice things. You're going to turn around and stab me in the back for it. Welcome to how Jesus felt. And yet, knowing that, he pushed forward in love, in acceptance, in forgiveness. Knowing, he knew that so many of the people that praised him for the miracles he did would then cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And he did it anyway. Because to him, we're worth it. Why do we love our children? Because they exist. And Jesus said, if we being evil know how to love our children appropriately, how much more? How much more do you think your heavenly Father loves you and will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it of him? That's the God that we serve. All of God's laws are about two things. The first is honoring and worshiping him, and the second is about taking care of one another. John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, teach us that the proof of the former is in the execution of the latter. And what I mean is, is this. You want to show me that you have a relationship with God? Treat your brother with kindness. You want to show me that you're a godly person? I will see that. I will know that of you and how you treat people. If you're mean to people, if you're vicious to people, if you gossip about people, if you slander people, if you wish ill upon people, if you covet what other people have, then you have a problem with your relationship with God. There is a problem there, and it's something that needs to be repented of and addressed. And if we're being honest, there's a little of that in each and every one of us, isn't there? If we confess our sins, Dad's favorite verse, he wants this on the tombstone. It's, not, it's what he says, okay? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. He is faithful and just if we confess our sins. God, I stand before you today. I'm so imperfect. I'm so, there's nothing good that dwells in me. I cannot ever attain to the heights of the goodness and the love and the morality of Jesus Christ. And yet here I am, and I want to be yours, and I want to be used by you. I want to love you the way I should, and I want to love my neighbor the way I should. God, would you help me do that? You know what his answer is? Yes. 
And if you fail tomorrow, guess what? Get up and try again. That's why the Bible says his mercy is new every morning. The Bible says that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the reason is given. He cannot deny himself. Once you're granted access into the family of God, you belong to him. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He will in no wise cast you out. So if you find yourself down and you find yourself on the far side of God's will and these things that God has commanded us, you get up today and you move forward and God openly receives you and accepts you just as he did the original day that you got saved. That's the God that we serve. There's no divine list. There's no checklist. There's no golden stars. There's no stand at the pearly gates and Peter's there. Open the books, Gabriel. Let's look at the life of Frank Thomas. Oh my goodness. It's nothing but sin and chicken wings here. You know, there's nothing else there. Oh, for heaven's sakes, you know, he did this March 3rd, 2019. He wished death upon a man, you know. Oh, you know, where was it? In traffic, of course, you know. And he did this. You just this this on this particular day, he ate more than three men should eat. Gluttons, you know, it's a sin. You know, it go on and on and on. God forbid. But when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the earth will give up its dead, and the sea will give up its dead, and all will stand before the great white throne of judgment, and the books will be opened, and it comes down to this. Is their name found in the Lamb's book of life? Because if my name is found in the Lamb's book of life, I don't get judged according to my righteousness. I get judged according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be covered in the blood, my friends. You know what I'm saying? That's what it means to be covered in the blood, to be washed in the blood. It's that that one-time sacrifice for all time and for all mankind was offered, and if you receive it to yourself, you are clean, you are made pure, your garments are made white, and it is never based on your righteousness or your performance or your holiness. That comes after the fact. It's after that that the epistles tell us, now, show me your faith by your works. Now, show me your relationship with God by your love for other people. But we can never put the cart before the horse. It's our relationship with God that is preeminent. Uh, I did, did like a little Bible app uh, search for, for your neighbor. Uh, just I thought that would be fun. I, I use this a lot. Uh, just some examples. Um, Leviticus 25, 14, we haven't gotten there. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's land, you shall not oppress one another. Deuteronomy 5, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant. Deuteronomy 23, when you come into your neighbor's standing green, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use your sickle. Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness against your, your neighbor. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I don't want to read that one. <laughs> Proverbs 3.29, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells uh, by you for safety's sake. Um, I love this. As you, go, as you go down through, Deuteronomy 23, here it is again. When you come to your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put in any at your container. Ed, that means if I show up at your house when you're having a barbecue and I'm just eating chicken freely off of the grill, that's okay. As long as I don't go into the freezer and steal all of that as well. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> Leviticus 19. Uh, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Leviticus 19, 16, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. You getting the point? It goes on and 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 on. And this is the law. Now, what's the law about? Well, the law is about all the things we can do and all the things we can't do in our relationship with God. So much of the law is about how we treat one another, 
how we deal with one another. It's so important. Hosea 6, 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It's the relationship stuff that God's interested in. It's the relationship stuff. Your relationship to him and your relationship with other people. That's what he's interested in. It's not all of the religious outward things. Um, let's see, Matthew chapter 23. Um, Chuck Smith used to say that the five books of the law were enough, but then the attorneys got a hold of the law. Uh, and the culmination of this was seen in the lives of the Pharisees during Jesus' time who were zealous for the letter of the law, but not for the reason it was given in the first place. In other words, they were ultra, super, uber religious, okay? And Jesus Christ had this to say about them in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read from various verses. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to, uh, tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works... For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. That's that religious hypocrisy that God never, ever, ever wants us to have in our lives. Live your life before the Lord. Love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> it's very, very important. And so if your neighbor's in trouble and if your neighbor's in need, guess whose job it is? It's our job, right? That's what the Lord is saying. Verse 5, this is kind of relevant. Uh, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, um, without going off and on and on and on about this, this is another thing that should be taken for its meaning and not analyzed and scrutinized in order to put a burden on people, okay? Uh, ladies, when, when you go swimming, okay, you don't have to wear a dress into the pool, Ladies, when you play basketball, okay, you don't have to wear a dress to play basketball. This is, this is the puritanical form of, form of thinking, which is, is just taking the law and making a bunch of lists of rules and regulations out of it, rather than just taking it as it is and saying, what makes sense here? What makes sense here? You know what makes sense? God made us male and female. Hello? right? God made us male and female. Jesus is going to deal with this later on in the New Testament when we're talking about marriage and divorce. God made us male and female. He made us. He decides and he dictates how we live our lives, with whom we live our lives, and how we act out according to the nature of the flesh and the natural things of life. He's the one that dictates these things. And here's what he has to say. If I go around dressed up like a girl, it's an abomination for a host of reasons, I might add. You don't want to see me in a dress, you know what I mean? A corset, I mean, do I need to get, do, I mean, do I need to give you an example? It, it, it would be, it'd be terrible, right? Tail Jeff is like, for, please, I'm blind, <laughs> you know, right? It's bad enough in my swimmy suit, right, okay? First of all, God made us male and female. Now, here's the thing. Remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse you back to the beginning of the verses that we read, okay? Here's the problem with the church, we go all the way over here or we go all the way over there. 
do we allow transvestites in the church or do we hate them? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do we do this or do we make all these rules right? It's very simple. God's word says what God's word says. Okay? Men, he wants you to be a man. Women, he wants you to be a woman. It's as simple as that. That doesn't mean that we have somebody in our lives, and, and, it, and it's going to be more and more and more as the time goes on, correct? I mean, there's legislation over it now. They want to have uh, um, boys who now believe that they're girls be able to compete with girls in sports and stuff like that and dominate the... Co- it's, there's all these things, and we look at it and we could go, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying we should take this kid and throw him in a river or throw him in jail or throw him in a psych ward or do some, be mean to the kid. But just because you think you're a girl, I mean, you, you can't physically, there's an ultimate fighter, uh, a mixed martial artist who was a, formerly a man and now identifies as a woman and is going and fighting women and he's literally cracking their skulls. I mean, they, because they can't compete. They can't, they can't go. And it's just like, because society says this has to be. Now, our response to that is not to say, you know, you know and get all angry and, and venomous and frothing at the mouth over it. Our job as Christians is to just lay back and always be ready and willing and able to speak the truth, but speak it in love. Here's what the God, God's Word says. Here's what the truth of the matter is. I'm confident in that. I'm confident in what God's Word says. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret about it. I don't have to go screaming to my senators for new legislation. Understand this, that this world is falling more and more into chaos, and it's not over yet. It's just getting warmed up. It's going to get to the place, this stuff is just the beginning. It's going to be in your face. And if they find a YouTube video where I read some of the scriptures and I say, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, a woman shall not wear any garments pertaining to a man and a man shall not wear any garments pertaining to a woman, that's going to be labeled hate speech and we're going to lose our tax exemption status. Who cares, right? Uh, and, and, and who knows what's going to happen from that point on. Here's the point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If they come here and they come in and say, you're coming with us, we're taking you to jail for hate speech, with a smile on my face, I'm going to say, awesome, let's go to jail. And we'll go to jail and we'll preach to those people. That, that's what we have absolutely no fear to have when it comes to standing on God's word. But at the same time, we need to remember, Christians, that the, that, 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 um, the transgender community, and, and you know, there, I don't, there's so many acronyms now, I can't keep up, with the L-B-G-T-Q-S-R-I-P-N-L-M-N-O-P. There's so many things. I can't keep up with it. But here's what I know about them. They're created in the image of God, and he loves them, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and I have no right to treat them in any other fashion other than with absolute love. And truth. And truth. What happens if if one of your sons comes home and says, Daddy, I'm gay. Right? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to say, I still love you. You're still my boy. You'll always be my boy. And I'm always going to love you. Here's what the Bible says. And so this is what I believe. And this is what we're not going to act like is normal and okay. Okay? We're not going to do that. We're not going to go along with things that the Bible calls an abomination and just act like it's okay because you don't understand the times and you don't understand the culture. I don't care what the times are and I don't care what the culture is. I care what God has to say. And that's the one I'm going to stand before. And that's the one all of us are going to stand before. That's enough on that, right? But girls, you know, if you want to wear shorts and t-shirts to play, it's okay. You understand? It's the spirit of the thing. My goodness, people get all screwed up and freaked out. And you can't wear this. You got to wear this. You know what? If you're a girl, just be a girl. 
Okay, whatever kind of girl you are, be a girl. And if you're a boy, be a, be a boy. That's what God's saying. That's how I created you. We're all different shapes and sizes and shades and colors and every other thing. God created all of us and loves each of us equally. And he made you unique and special and beautiful just the way you are. Just be who you are and love the Lord. It's really not that difficult. Um, okay, verse uh, 6. What time is it? Oh, we got time. If a bird's nest happens to be before you, this may seem kind of silly and odd, like, really? Um, if a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. Now, what on earth? And, and oh my goodness, you can do so many mental gymnastics with this. It goes right back to the other stuff that we just read. It's common sense and it's simple. It's common sense and it's... Did you guys know that we don't get the chickens at, the, at Wegmans and Walmart, the rotisserie chicken? Those don't come from the chickens that lay eggs. Did you know that? You know there's like a meat bird chicken that's different from... I didn't know this. I didn't realize this. I'm just saying this because it makes me think of, you know, you got the chicken and lazy eggs. You don't take the, oh, looks like we're going to have chicken and eggs this morning. You know, you just take the eggs. But there's meat birds, which are a whole separate. Have you ever seen one of these meat birds? They look like a velociraptor. You've not seen these things? They're vicious. They're, I, they're weird creatures. And I, that's just all bonus, useless information that you, you can't do anything with. But it's, it's common sense. You see a quail? Okay, there's a quail, and, and, and for some reason, it's nesting along the road, and, there, and she's sitting on her eggs. And you say, quail eggs would be nice. So you take the quail eggs, but don't take the mother as well. Why? There's this idea that you're not going to stamp out that, that, even that bird's line. You understand? This is conservation 101 stuff, right? Conservation 101. You know who the, the, the greatest conservationists are? Are hunters, you know, you see, hunters are, 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 are portrayed as being these bloodthirsty, vicious, you know, uh, killers and all that stuff. And some of them are. I'm, I'm not saying that there's not hunters out there who are bad, very, very bad people, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the hunters that run these preserves and all that stuff, they're conservationists. You can't just let the deer population go unchecked. There will be massive starvation and death. They'll be everywhere. They'll be running into cars, running into every other thing. Okay, the deer population has to be controlled. God has given us the animal population and the earth for us to be stewards over, right? Just like your dog. You get your dog, you don't just bring him in the house, go, well, you're part of the family now there, Flippy. Okay, you, you know the rules, you know the rules. All right, I'll see you later. Take care, have fun with life. Let that dog govern himself. You know what Flippy's gonna do? <laughs> Flippy's gonna flip and flop and poop everywhere in your house. You have stewardship over that dog because it's an animal. It's not a human. Well, the kids might do the same thing. You have to have stewardship over them as well. You got, but you have stewardship. God has given us stewardship over animals. Now, that's two parts. God has given us animals for food. God has given us animals for, to enjoy them. But God has given us the animals to be stewards over them as well. God has not given us animals to stomp all over them. And, and destroy their habitat for no good reason. And I'm no Greenpeace PETA guy. I'm just saying, there's a balance there. That's what God's talking about. You, you're hungry for some quail eggs? Take the quail eggs. You know, the mother quail's not going to walk around for days going, oh, Lord. I, I. It's a bird. It's got a bird brain. It's going to go, ah, and then it's going to go make more eggs. 
That's it. But you don't take the quail too, because let that bird go make more eggs. It's the idea. It's very simple. It's very, it's very common sense, right? You want me here to do that bird noise again? No. No. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10 says this. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Uh, you know, the FBI, one of the things that they use to profile serial killers and stuff like that and to spot that are people who abuse and torture animals. There's something very sick and very twisted about that. You know, people who abuse and torture, and again, I, I'm not an animal guy. If a dog bites my kid, there's no thought process there. It's like, well, that's it, right? I'd probably go to jail for that now. It's, it's an animal. But at the same time, at the same time, God has given us animals to be stewards of them. To be cruel and to be vicious and to be merciless with, a, with an animal is not a godly thing. It's wickedness. And it's a sign of, uh, of some, some, some kind of sickness going on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus said this, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? In other words, they're, they're worthless to you. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. And not one of them. God knows every action, every movement of every animal on the face of the planet. Even the sparrow, even the ant, even the bug, okay? That's not to say you don't bring in the exterminator in the spring to get rid of the bugs in your house. It's not what it means. We're to be good stewards. You, you guys get the point I'm making? It's common sense. It should be co a common sense. Deuteronomy 25.4 says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. In other words, when you've got an ox attached to your yoke and it's pulling the yoke to tread out the grain, you don't muzzle it so it can't eat while it's working. You, take, you don't put a muzzle on that ox. Let him eat. He's doing all the work for you. Let that ox eat. It's common sense. Uh, be kind and, and be, be uh, um, compassionate to, the, to the, the, the animals that God has given us dominion over. Uh, verse 8, when you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. So in the Middle East, you still to this day will see houses uh, with on the roof, there's a wall all the way around. And some people have this in, in different parts of the United States as well. And so you could go hang out on the roof. And families would do this. They would spend a lot of time hanging out on the roof. So it's like when, when people let the, the para, their paraplegic down through the roof to Jesus, it was very common for people to be on the roof, uh, roofs of the houses that day. But what, the, what God is saying to people is build a wall around, because you know God knows us, and he can see. You, I can see what's going to happen. This guy's going to build like a, like a, like a three-story house, no wall on it, and he's going to have a get-together, and people are going to be falling off the roof, and there's going to be a mess. You know, we just got done dealing with the Avenger of Blood and all that stuff and cities of refuge. You know, God's like, use your common sense. If you build a, a house with a roof that you can hang out on, build a wall up on top so people aren't going to fall off. I like that. I like that because it's common sense. I like it because it makes sense. And God wants us to be responsible. God doesn't want us to be careless. Again, God wants us to take care of each other, right? Right? God wants us to take care of each other. It's the idea of the thing. Um, and then verse 9 to 12, it says this, you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. 
You shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing with which you cover yourself. Now, this is another one of those portions of Scripture that has been used, actually, to, um, uh, what's the word, like, justify segregation uh, and, and, and say that interracial dating and stuff like that is not okay because of the mixing. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely preposterous, okay? God is talking about exactly what he's talking about. And what God wanted was in the lives of his people for everything to be done decently and in order, okay? Decently and in order. Don't be careless. Just like when you build your house and you put a roof on it, I want you to put a wall around it so people aren't falling off it. If you're going to plant grapes, one kind of grape, plant one kind of grapes here, plant another kind of grapes here, keep everything the way it should be so that there's decency and there's order in the thing. Okay, when you're going to plow your field, because you can just see, you know, you're one, that one neighbor, right, with all the old plows in his front yard, <laughs> right, and, all, and, his, and, and he's, got a, and it's a, he's got an oxen and he's got a donkey trying to plow together. You know what that looks like? That's a mess. That's a disaster. They're different sizes. They're different strengths. They don't move the same way. And God said, no, 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 no. You don't plow with an oxen and a donkey. I want everything to be done amongst you in decency and in order. The last thing on planet earth God is talking about, it was about race. Um, and I only say that because it's, it's something that's been, been brought up. It's something that's been used to justify segregation and other stupid things like that. I want to read a couple of verses for you. Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 to 38, then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. It wasn't just Jews that went out of Egypt. You know that, right? It wasn't just Jews that went out of Egypt. There was a mixed multitudes from not just Egypt, from, from different nations as well that lived in Egypt, that saw all of the things that God accomplished and that God performed there, and so they said, I want to be a part of what you got going on. I want to be a part of the God that you're serving. And so they went up out of Egypt with them. And when God got them to Mount Sinai and he gave the law, who did he give it to? He didn't break them up, did he? No, no, no. People are people. There's only one race. It's the human race. There's different ethnicities. But there is only one race. It's ridiculous in the economy of God. It's silly and ridiculous and an abomination that we would ever separate based on the color of our skin. It is absolutely contrary to God's word. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they were upset about it and angry about it. I don't know what happened to his... We don't really hear about Zephorah, his first wife, uh, much after the Exodus. But at some point in time, he married an Ethiopian woman. And Aaron and Miriam were angry about it. And so they started to grumble against Moses. And God appears in a cloud and he rebukes him. And when the cloud lifts, Miriam is standing there, the Bible says, leprous, as white as snow with leprosy. And I don't think it's just because she was speaking against Moses. This Ethiopian woman, I'm, I'm assuming that she came up out of Egypt with the children of Israel. I don't know that. Or maybe, maybe it was that, or she was the child of one of the people that came out of the land of Egypt. But there's absolutely no, absolutely not even a word spoken of it. She, he married an Ethiopian woman. Who cares, right? That's the idea. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. For you are all sons of God, 
through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is no difference. There should be no distinction whatsoever. You know what I mean? It breaks my heart that there's black churches and white churches. and a- I mean, if there's a language barrier, I, I get it, I understand. But why is it like that? It reminds me of when they came to Jesus and started asking him about divorce. Well, then why did Moses, uh, you know, God tell Moses, write her a certificate of divorce? And he says, because of the hardness of your hearts. So God had to make provision for this poor woman, lest you just cast her out. And she has nothing to take care of herself. It was because of the hardness of your hearts. And that's why we have mixed, uh, separated churches. That's why we don't all just worship together as one. It's because of the hardness of our hearts, man, as a people. But here's what I do know. In Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we are all one. We are brothers and sisters. Listen, I don't have an answer for politically and uh, socially what's happening out in our, in our country today between the races. I don't have an answer for that. I don't think there is an answer for that, except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, it is assumed, and you ought to know if you're being taught anything at all, we're brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. There is no distinction. All of your preconceived ideas, notions, prejudices that you may have, those ought to dissolve with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um. But God always has wanted his people to be separate and distinct, and he always has wanted them to not mix mostly the sacred with the profane. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 14 to 18 says this, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So even up to our day and even amongst the Christian faith, there ought to be a distinction. That's what, that's what circumcision was about. That's what the tassels that we're going to talk about is about. There ought to be a distinction between those who follow Jesus Christ and those who don't follow Jesus Christ. There ought to be a clearly delineated line that exists between your lifestyle and their lifestyle. And it's not something that you should have to even say or talk about. You ever meet somebody at work or when you're out and about and you start having a conversation with them and, and all of a sudden, and you know this person's a Christian. You start having a conversation and your spirit immediately begins to commune with their spirit and you, you understand, this person's a Christian. This person's a person of like faith. And then you start, try, you know, how, come, how am I going to broach the subject? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, so uh, where do you attend church? Next thing you know, you're having like this hallelujah revival and all the coworkers are like, oh, get me out of here. You know what I mean? But it ought to be, it's the same thing, you know, um, when you're dealing with people who aren't saved, who aren't born again. Now, I have a lot of people who, are, who, are, who I consider friends who aren't saved, who aren't born again Christians, but I cannot have fellowship with those people the way I have fellowship with someone who's saved. Because my spirit 
has been made alive by the Spirit of God, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And that changes every aspect of who you are as a human being. It changes everything about you. And so I cannot, it's not just you, ha- you shall not, you can't have true fellowship there. There's always going to be a disconnect when it comes to the things of God. And the things of God ought to be what define us uh, for who we are. Lastly, verse 12, you shall make tassels on the four corners of your clothing with which you cover yourself. Uh, this comes from Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. It says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. I'm going I'm to read that one more time. You shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all of my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Wow, it's powerful. And so we as Christians, we don't wear the tassels on our garments and things like that, but there ought to be markers in your life. There ought to be things in every single one of our lives daily that we can look to and say, this ain't me. This is about the Lord. This is about the Lord. For me, my family. For me, it's, my, it's one of them. It's one of my, they're, they're all just a big tassel for me. A lot, a lot of it. It's, it's huge for me. When I look at my wife, when I look at my children, it's not just they're my wife, my kid. That's my wife. That's you know, it's the old lady, you know, the ball and chain, you know, there's the kids, they're the rugrats, you know, the... No, no. My wife and my children that the Lord brought to me, that the Lord brought to me as a sign of a covenant between him and I, an agreement that we made together. And my children are the result of that. And I'm not their dad just because I love being their dad and I love them. It's about the Lord God whom I serve. They belong to him. They're his. And our family and what we do as a family belongs to him. But there ought to be markers. There ought to be things in all of our lives that we can look to every single day to say, this isn't mine. This isn't about me. And things that keep us from going after what our own hearts and minds desire sometimes. God wants there to be walls on the top of our roofs. And God wanted us to have walls around our hearts as well and reminders to keep us, keep us where he called us to be in his love and in his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you for your holy word. And we ask that you would uh, take these instructions, Father, from your, from your word and that we would, we would put them into our hearts, Lord. Allow them to be written on the tablets of our hearts, Lord, that we would seek with all of our heart, Lord, to be followers uh, of you, Lord, not to, to religion and not to a list of rules, Father, but in simplicity, obeying and honoring your word, Father, as you decipher it to each of our hearts, Father, we would so live before you in Christ Jesus, Lord, and that we would have a continual hunger and thirst, Lord, to draw closer to you, Lord, to, to marinate, really, in your righteousness and your holiness, Father, and that when we go from those places of worship and praise with you, Father, that we would take to the world with us love, 
Um, and not our own love, Father, the love of Jesus Christ, that agape love, that love that is not self-serving or, or according to self-interest, Lord, but that godly love that is sacrificial and that is giving and never taking. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be what you've called us to be, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.